I've heard it said you steer where you stare. We are bombarded daily with voices vying for our attention. And if we fill our days and minds with Netflix and social media feeds, we can get off track pretty quick. That's why I developed a 30-day music challenge. Listen to Christian music exclusively for 30 days. The challenge is free, and I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Head over to michellenizette.com forward slash 30-day challenge to sign up. Change your music, change your life. You're listening to More Than a Song, episode 437. Hello, and welcome to this episode of More Than a Song. My name is Michelle Nizat, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you discover the truth of Scripture, hidden in today's popular Christian music. My goal is to teach you to connect portions of God's Word with the songs you're singing along with on the radio, to help you meditate on truths that will transform your way of thinking and ultimately your life. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity, states, When Christ died, he died for you individually, just as much as if you had been the only man in the world. This startling idea is hinted at in Matthew West's song, Me on Your Mind. And I was immediately inspired by this song to study a prayer of Jesus. But before we get to that, let's listen. Who am I that the King? know that Jesus had us on his mind when he took the cross and gave his life? Well, we have proof in his own words. This is not just a fun lyric or a pithy phrase passed around in circles of Christian believers. It is revealed in a prayer of Jesus. So in John chapter 17, immediately before his betrayal in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus prays aloud in a lengthy prayer. And we're going to read and study it this week. But as a point of introduction, he had just been praying for his disciples, the ones that were in his presence. And then he adds this in verse 20. He says, I do not ask for these only, meaning the disciples that were right there, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. The disciples didn't know it at the time, but these were the last moments before Christ's arrest and subsequent crucifixion. And in these moments, he had you on his mind. And I don't know about you, but last words are important, especially when the person who is speaking them knows that they are about to die. And these kinds of last words tell us what's really important to that person. And so by reading and studying this prayer of Jesus, we get a clear sense of what's really important to him, what he really wants for us. And when all is said and done today, I pray that you will take the bite of meditating on this area of scripture and really matching it up against what is important to you. So I, for one, have been convicted by my time in God's word this week. It once again is changing the way I think and calling me out on my sinful responses. Um, Now, I said that you should take the bite of meditating on this area. Bite, by the way, is Bible interaction tool exercise. 
And meditating on God's word is one of my favorite bites that I sometimes have to remind myself to do because I tend to be a read the next post, next article, next book kind of girl. And meditating on God's word means I slow down a bit, let the text roll around in my mind a little bit longer. And then this practice also allows the Holy Spirit to really work on my heart. And so as with any time I approach a specific area of God's word, once I had that inspiration to study this prayer here in John chapter 17, then I went ahead and read that chapter in context. This is my favorite bite. I loosely define reading in context as the chapter before, the chapter, and the chapter after. And I say loosely because sometimes it just doesn't cut it. And this week, was one of those times. (laughs) So if we only back up to John chapter 16, we're going to be in the middle of a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. So you're going to have to back up a bit further to understand the entire context of how we even got to John chapter 17. I personally love having an excuse to read more of God's word with a purpose. And so this week, we're going to jump back to John chapter 13 and then read forward from there. And then, so when you actually open the pages of your Bible to John chapter 13, you're going to be invited into a room with Jesus and his disciples at the Last Supper. And so I encourage you to read forward from there for yourself. Don't skim it, all right? This is an opportunity to read words that maybe you've read before. There is great value in repetition. You are building a foundation that God can use and build upon in your life. Because this kind of familiarity with scripture, meaning I've read that, I can tell you what it says, that kind of familiarity, and that only happens by reading it repetitively. But this will allow the Holy Spirit to then bring back to mind uh, the, the truth when you need it. And you don't know when that day is, is going to arrive. So utilize the time today um, just on purpose, with a purpose, and read from John 13 all the way through 17. And, and I even encourage you to go past it to John 18. Of course, we don't have time to read it together on the podcast. I wish we did. So I'm going to take the bite of utilizing the subheadings in your Bible to get our bearings. Now, subheadings are not scripture. They're not inspired words of God. They're just study helps. And they won't help at all if you've never read the text for yourself. So basically, they're going to remind you of what you've read. And in doing so, they are quite useful. But don't use them as an excuse not to read it. Uh, in John in John chapter 13, we were going to see these subheadings. We see Jesus washing the disciples' feet, declaring one of his 12 disciples would betray him, offering a new commandment, and foretelling Peter's denial. In John chapter 14, Christ declares that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and promises the Holy Spirit. And then in John chapter 15, they get up from the table and they go on a walk. And I really imagine them walking through a vineyard for this part because Jesus is teaching on the vine and the branches. And I can just picture him touching the vines and pointing to um, the grapes and the branches and all of that as they walk through a vineyard. I do have another episode, episode 123, that talks about this area of John, if you're interested in that as kind of like a partner episode. But then, so in John chapter 15, Jesus is talking about being the true vine. 
He tells the, the talks about the hatred of the world that his disciples can expect moving forward. And then in John chapter 16, Jesus discusses the work of the Holy Spirit, the sorrow that is coming that's going to turn to joy, and how he himself has overcome the world. And that brings us to John 17, the high priestly prayer followed closely by John 18, where we read of the betrayal and arrest of Jesus. Now, it struck me as I read this again in context that God's story begins with betrayal in a garden way back in Genesis. And now Jesus, God incarnate, is back in a garden to be betrayed. I do, however, love what Dr. Jim and Janine Reich say in their blog post. I'll link to the actual post in the show notes, but I love this quote. Mankind lost everything of value when he betrayed his heavenly father in the Garden of Eden, and it is only fitting that a garden would be the setting for the betrayal that would give back to mankind everything that had been lost. God's plan has always been to bring us back to fellowship with him so we can all walk with him in the garden. Don't you love that? All right, so from the Garden of Eden to the Garden of Gethsemane, Christ had us on his mind. So let's jump into this prayer that he didn't just pray for the disciples that were in his presence, but all of his disciples in the ages to come. So verse one, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Now, when I read this, I consider a couple of things. First, I consider the posture of Jesus. His eyes are lifted to heaven. Now, from what I've read in commentaries, this is the common posture of prayer in Jesus's time. And it is in direct contrast to the way we do things, at least in the West these days. You know, my pastor says, heads bowed, heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, no one moving around, you know. And so that's the custom of prayer in the Western world today, heads bowed and eyes closed. And there are reasons for both postures. I'm not going to get into that right now, but Christ's posture just struck me as I read this. So that is one thing that jumped out. Another thing that jumped out at me was the statement, Father, the hour has come. Now, the reason this jumped out at me because of all the times that he indicated that the time his time had not come, right? So if you've read the gospel at all, any of the gospels, he often says, well, the, my time has not come. The hour has not yet come. And so that actually sent me on a follow the cross reference adventure. It's another bite, by the way, following the cross references to places like John 2, 4 and the wedding of Cana, where Jesus tells his mother that his hour had not yet come. In John 7.30, where people who wanted to arrest Jesus couldn't because his hour had not yet come. Again, in John 8.20, again, not re- not arrested. Uh, he was claiming divinity. He was claiming to be God. But he wasn't arrested at that time because his hour had not yet come. But in John chapter 12 and beyond, Jesus changes and starts to declare that the hour has come. Just very interesting this idea, this thing that jumps out. So that could be kind of a study all in it of itself. But what is this hour that Jesus speaks of? Uh, it is the time of his crucifixion when his saving work is accomplished in his atoning death. That is his hour. That is the hour that he's speaking of. So up until this point, the hour had not yet come. And now we're moving into a time where the hour had come. And obviously, this is a seismic shift in the life and ministry of Jesus. And so this prayer is prayed now that the hour has come. So just keep that in perspective as you read it. 
Now, verse two through three, since you have given him authority over all flesh, him talking, he's talking in the third person uh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So when you read this prayer for yourself, you're going to see a lot of glory and glorify talk. In fact, it's good that we're taking this prayer apart a little bit, bit, bit by bit, because when I read it uh, all at once and kind of fast, my eyes start to glaze over a bit. The, the language is a little bit, it, it doesn't flow like we would say something. And so I think it's good to take the bite of slowing down. Um, we've read in context. Okay. So we've read the whole story around it and now we're going to take it apart, apart word by word and thought by thought and try to understand what Jesus is saying. So what did Jesus just say here? Well, first of all, God gave him authority to give eternal life. And then Jesus defines eternal life. And he says, it's that we may know God, the only true God and Jesus Christ. So knowing God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is eternal life. And I think I would have said that believing in Christ leads to eternal life. And that's true. But here Jesus is bringing it to a whole new level. He's saying knowing God is eternal life. So this knowing is an intimate knowledge of God. It's referring to knowledge of God and Christ and of the things relating to them and proceeding from, from them. But it is a participatory knowing. It's not just head knowledge. It's oneness. It's unity with them. And we're going to get a sense of that as the prayer continues. But that intimate knowing is a gift from Christ. It comes through Christ and that is eternal life. All right, so let's keep reading verse four. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So glorifying God is to cause his dignity and worth to become evident. So Christ's obedience to the purposes of God set forth for his time on earth, it, he, that, that obedience magnified God's character. Christ's life and death celebrated the very essence of God. Which leads me to the question, am I following Christ's pattern in my own life? Do I look at my obedience to God and to his ways as a way to magnify his character or am I looking at my obedience as either something I'm supposed to do or or as an, an exchange to get something from him? Because that's not the example of my Savior. <laughs> so let's read Christ's words again. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. It's, it's a beautiful relationship that the Son and the Father have, isn't it? Jesus is saying, I brought attention to your character by accomplishing what I came to do. Now bring attention to my character as I return to heaven to sit at your right hand where I've been since before the beginning. <laughs> and I really don't want you to miss this point because the person of Jesus Christ is eternal. He did not come into existence at his earthly birth. He had glory with the Father before the world existed. This is a very important thing to understand and believe 
when it comes to faith in Christ. I don't have time to unpack it further than that, but just know that's an important piece. All right, verse six. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. So let's take the bite of looking up a word in the dictionary because I don't use the word manifested in my daily language. (laughs) So it actually showed up in my research around that word glorified. It was actually in some of the definitions I looked up. So it could be a synonym of to to glorified uh, manifested is a synonym, but it means to show plainly to make to appear distinctly, usually to the mind to put beyond question or doubt to display or to exhibit. So Christ's ability to perfectly exhibit the name and character of God to his disciples is revealed as we read further along in the prayer. But for now, just make note that part of the work that Christ has accomplished is to display the character of God beyond question or doubt. So if we want to know God, we can study Christ. All right, verse 7. Now they know that everything you've given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they've believed that you sent me. So the teachings of Christ throughout his ministry came directly from his father, and those words that his father gave him are truth. Verse 9, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who, whom you've given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now, it's not that Jesus doesn't care about the world here. It's just that this prayer is for his disciples. And just as we've been discussing, as followers of Christ, we bring attention to Christ's character. That's what Jesus is saying when he says, I am glorified in them. Uh, all right, I'm, I'm running out of time. I, I want to I take it apart verse by verse, but we don't have time to do that. Let's jump down to verse 14. Um, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. All right, so we've already discussed the the theme of glorification. Now we see a couple of references to sanctification. And basically, sanctification sets something or someone apart for special use. So a sanctified person is made holy by God, set apart for special use. And so this prayer reminds us that we are made holy by the word of God and Christ consecrate himself and expects us to do the same. So our lives are to be sacred in the hands of a loving God set apart for holy use. Now, unity is another theme in this prayer that we just don't have time to unpack today. In fact, I'm going a little bit long today, but I wanted to share something from one of my study Bibles. I took the bite of consulting an outside resource only after I read the text for myself But in one of my study Bibles, I'm going to link to it in the show notes. It's called the Fire Bible. But in the commentary, it talks about using this prayer as an example or a model to pray for others um, or to pray for other followers of Christ. And I 
I really, really liked the notes on this. So I'm going to share it with you. So just know, and then I'm going to give you the verse references. And if you go to michellekneesat.com forward slash 437, you're going to see these bullet points and the verse references so that you can follow along. But we should pray that they may know Jesus and his word intimately. That's in verses 2 through 3, 17 and 19. We should pray that God will protect them from the evil influences of the world, keeping them from turning away from him and giving them discernment to recognize and reject ungodly beliefs and false spiritual teaching. You can see that in verse 6, verse 11, and verses 14 through 17 in this prayer. We should pray that they uh, may constantly possess the full joy of serving Christ. That's found in verse 13. Uh, We should pray that they may live by God's standard of purity and truth in thoughts and actions and character. That's in verse 17. We should pray that they are unified in love and purpose, just as Jesus and the Father are. Again, that unity theme in verse 11 and verses 21 through 22. We need to pray that they would lead others to Christ. You see that in verse 21 and 23. We should pray that their faith will endure so that they will one day be with Christ in heaven, as in verse 24. And finally, we should pray that they may constantly experience God's love and presence. And that's in verse 26. So I put all that and the verses in the show notes for you to meditate on further. But just know that we didn't get to all that, but that, that all of that is in this prayer. And as you study this prayer of Christ, one of his last prayers that he spoke aloud on earth, he had you on his mind as he was praying it. So what's next? Well, read John 17 in context. So start in in chapter 13 uh, and read all the way through 18 and then go back and study it line by line and word by word. Uh, Look up words in the dictionary you can't define uh, off the top of your head. Meditate on the themes of glorification, sanctification, and unity. Use this prayer as an example to pray for others. And above all, remember that Jesus had you on his mind when he lifted his eyes and these words to heaven. And then while you're in God's word this week, let me know how you're doing. You can email me, michelle at com. Hop on Twitter or Instagram at michellekneesat or on Facebook, Michelle L. Nizat is my public page. And we can talk about what you're learning. Now, More Than a Song is a proud member of the NRT Podcast Network. You can check out other podcasts in the network and Christian music resources at newreleasetoday.com. And I would be honored if you followed the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. But if you sign up on my website at michellekneesat.com, then I'm able to email you once a week with those show notes with all the scriptures that I use and links to resources that I used to prepare the podcast so that you can follow along with me. Now, my featured free resource for email subscribers this week is an archive of some interactive worksheets that I created for various podcasts over the years. You can find them all in one place in the archive I've created, and you will gain exclusive access to that archive when you subscribe to my email list at michellekneesat.com. Now, with that in mind, I want to thank any new subscribers who have subscribed recently, like Jan from Kentucky, Vinodha from South Africa, Jen from Alberta, Canada, Deanna from Texas, Jamie from Nebraska, Stephen from California, Fiona from Singapore, Catherine from Oklahoma, Christian from Texas, Patricia from California, Nen from New Jersey, Sharon from Massachusetts, Ruthann from Kentucky, Myrna from Croatia, Brandy from Tennessee, Robin from California, Jacobson from Armenia, and Danielle from 
Iowa. Welcome all over the world. We've got some new subscribers. Thank you for subscribing and for listening. And don't forget, you can listen to the podcast directly on my website at michellekneezat.com through iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. You can follow on Spotify or through Stitcher Radio or your podcast listening app of choice. And if you haven't left a review yet, do that today by heading over to lovethepodcast.com forward slash more than a song. Well, that's it for this episode of More Than a Song. Next week, I will be featuring Getting Started by Jeremy Camp to dive into scripture. If you liked this episode, however, would you mind sharing it with others? I've made it really easy. With just one click, you can share via Facebook, Twitter, or email. Just head over to michellekneezat.com forward slash 437. While you're there, I'd love to hear from you. Click on comment to join the conversation. Until next time, take time to meditate on God's word and consider his ways.